Praise the Lord. I have you turn with me in your copy of the scripture to two separate passages. Uh, the first passage I'm going to have you go to and just kind of put your little string thing in there um, is Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And then the one that we're going to start at today is Matthew chapter 5. As Pastor Black alluded to, we are starting a new home group series um, beginning March the 26th. Um, all the details and stuff will be getting gotten, I'm not, it'll be to you. How about that? Next week, and uh, we'll figure out how to word that, and it'll be easy to understand, and we'll get that to you next week. Um, but we are actually going to start that series this morning um, because there are five home group sessions and there are eight Beatitudes. And so if you kind of do the math, um, we want to be done by Mother's Day. Amen? And so we wanted to start that series today, just felt the prompting of the Lord to do that. And so that's what we are going to, uh, to begin is this idea called Upside Down. Upside Down down, the, the upside-down teachings of Jesus. Before we get dive into this too far, let me just also make one other announcement for our teens. Um, as you may have noticed when you came in that there's some chocolate by the door. Our teens are selling that um, to help them to go to camp or um, to, to help them to get to a place uh, of whether that be camp or fine arts where God can speak into their life. So whenever you make an investment in buying chocolate, and I know that's a sacrifice. I know you, you're thinking, man, I, I don't know. Can I buy chocolate? Is that going to be oh, what a sacrifice that is? But every time you buy that from a, a student, you're actually helping them to hear and from the Lord in a greater capacity. So I encourage you to do that. Um, that is available to you and uh, our students. All of our students have uh, forms and they'll be able to help you and assist you with that. Today, as I said, we're going to start this um, new sermon series. It's on the Beatitudes that are found in Matthew chapter 5. Each week we'll take one, eight total, and we'll talk about them. This is part of... Uh, teaching of Jesus that is really upside down in the thoughts of our world today. As Matthew 5 opens, um, let's, let's just read that, those uh, first three verses of Matthew chapter 5 together. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, today I pray that you would help us. Help us to get the concepts of what you're teaching to our hearts today. That every one of these beatitudes apply to us in some form or another. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just please speak to our hearts this morning. Let our ears be attentive and our hearts open to hear what you have to say. Lord, let me hide behind what you want to say today and use my mouth as a mouthpiece for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Matthew chapter 5 opens, we see Jesus seeing the crowds that were around him. And so he goes up on this mountainside so that he can be heard. 
More than likely, this mountainside is part of, it's right next to the Sea of Galilee. And in those days, it's kind of a, a weird thought, but in those days, it was known that people who were revolutionaries would hide in the mountainside. That's where they would escape from people around them that would try to capture them or, or do them harm. And I find it interesting because Jesus climbs on the side of a mountain to give this revolutionary teaching that is totally different from anything that they have ever heard of before. And so it makes sense that he is climbing on this side of the mountain. He talks about this new kingdom with new rules, which aren't really a reversal of the old rules. And it's amazing, he doesn't really want to talk about tangible laws. He doesn't want to talk about tangible rules. He's not into current events. He doesn't mention anything about Roman rule in this sermon. All the things that are here are things of life. Those are the surface things of life. Jesus wants to go deeper here. And so he begins this Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard that. Over the next three chapters of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins this Sermon on the Mount with a list of paradoxes, of which we'll be looking over for the next several weeks. Today we're going to study verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Paraguay, there's a community that is, it's a slum community, and it actually is in the landfill. Over 1,500 pounds of garbage is dumped in this community every day. That's home for these people. If you look at this, if you were to Google this landfill on, on your computer or YouTube it, you would find this thing, the Landfill Harmonic Orchestra. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. The Landfill Harmonic Orchestra orchestra. These people live in this landfill every day. They understand the conditions of it. And if you begin to Google it, you'll see the landfill and you'll see the dump trucks that dump all the stuff and the guys there sorting through all the garbage. And man, you'll begin to think, oh wow, that's, that's pretty rough. And that's, that's pretty bad. There's one thing though that you will not get from your computer that is evident in this community. And that's the smell. Have you ever been to a dump? Wow. That's all I can say is, wow. It's bad. There's a smell of just dirtiness. There's a smell of just garbage. There's a smell of, of all kinds of, of gross, terrible things. And, you know, sometimes if you hit the right spot in the landfill, it can almost probably make you gag. But there's also a smell in this community. There was a smell in this community. It was also the smell of hopelessness. No hope for a future. No hope of advancement. Just living in this landfill. But this community became something known for something more than just a landfill. The community has this amazing orchestra of kids. And what they did is they went through the landfill 
and they found different pieces, whether that be an oil can, whether that be some kitchen utensils, whether that be some small tiny cans, x-rays, and they began to make musical instruments out of these things. If you go online, you'll see that this one, they made a cello out of this oil can. And it's got this long wooden thing that was in there, and he's got, um, I, I think it was thing to make nochi. I don't know. That's what they said. I don't know what nochis really are, but it, it's a nochi maker. And they found it, and they put it, and, and they started, and he said, and this is what my cello sounds like. And he started to play this cello, and it was amazing. It sounded awesome. They began to look at drums for drums, and, and what they did is they found old x-rays. And they took these old x-rays, and they made them the drum heads. And they, that was their, how they, they played drums with x-rays. And if you were to Google this, you would find this to be an amazing, awesome-sounding orchestra from a landfill, from things that were considered people that they'd thrown away. It was considered trash to people. I invite you, sometime in the next week, go home and Google that. Go to YouTube and search that Landfill Harmonic Orchestra. It's a pretty remarkable story. Most people think of a landfill as a place where you throw stuff away, but these were people that were taking the things that were thrown away and using them to make beautiful things. See, our culture today, we live in a throwaway culture today. We would never have thought about bringing beauty from recycled things. We would have not probably gone to our local dump to find some stuff, oil cans and different things that we could make musical instruments out of. Our culture here in the United States doesn't think that way. We think that if you break it, you trash it. After all, man, I can get online. I've got Amazon, all them pretty new things. I don't even have to leave my house. I can just go boop. And within a couple days, they're dropping it off at my door. That's the culture we live in. But the problem is we have taken that mindset. It's sad to say that we've taken that mindset into many different things of our life. In the fact that if something's broken, you just trash it. What started out as stuff in, in American culture, you know, we've got this little thing and man, we, we fix it. How many of you broke something and you try to fix it? Sometimes everybody's different, I get that. But in our, in our culture, we like to kind of, we'll try to fix it a little bit. That's why we created duct tape. Right? Because the line is duct tape fixes everything, right? And so no matter what it is, you just wrap up the duct tape. If the duct tape doesn't work, it must be truly broke. So then you throw it out and you just replace it. And we started out with our stuff that way. We started out with things that way. But you know what we've gotten to in our American culture today? We've gotten to the place where we do the same thing with marriages. To, if it's broke, we just throw it out and get a new one. You know, a couple was asked, they were married for 60 years, and they were asked this question, what's the secret to staying together? And they said, our generation found that when something's broke, you fix it. You don't throw it away. And that was the secret for their marriage. Amazing. We've taken that, and we've also added it to our relationships. 
Oh, man, they don't get along with me. I don't get along with them. Instead of trying to work on it, what do we do? We just throw it away. Didn't need them anyway. Right? So we have that mentality. Jesus gives us some, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives us some really different thought processes in life than that. Jesus leaves the throne of heaven to come to this landfill we called earth. Jesus leaves the perfection of heaven to come to a place of brokenness. And he recycles us from our imperfection and he makes something beautiful out of us so that we can honor him and give glory to him. So let's look at this through a different lens this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you may be thinking, that's great, man, because I don't have a lick of money on me. I am broke, right? Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, he must have really mixed that up because he really meant to say rich. Blessed are the rich because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But you see, Jesus in this passage isn't talking about physical things. He's not talking about your financial status. He's not talking about your stuff. He's talking about something much more profound. He's talking about the inward parts of you. The word that Jesus uses here for poor actually means this. It means bankrupt or destitute. Bankrupt or destitute. So what he's really saying here is this, blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit. In other words, blessed are you when you are so broke that you have nothing to offer. God's kingdom begins for you when you come to an end of yourself. Precisely the opposite world of the opposite way of the world's thinking. Basically, according to Jesus, when you take an inventory of your life and you come up with zero, then you're close to the kingdom of heaven. Not relying on ourselves, but totally relying on God. There's a passage of scripture, it's found in Luke chapter 7, that is a perfect narrative for this scripture. It's in Luke chapter 7, in verse 36. And I want us to understand this concept that it's blessed to be broken. That's the, that's the title of the message today. Blessed are the broken. It's blessing to be broken. The fact is, and, and we're going to hit this at the end of, of our time together today. This is a revelation probably for you. We are all broken. We are all broken. So let's read this passage. It begins in verse 36 of chapter 7. When, the, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There are two main characters other than Jesus that we want to talk about today in this message. The first one is sinful Simon. Sinful Simon. Simon invites Jesus to his house. He's throwing a party for for the Lord. Now, Simon is probably not someone that I would call a Jesus freak. He's probably not someone who has this thought process to hold Jesus and his teaching in high regard. I'm going to get to that in a minute of why I came up with that thought process. You see, there are rules for having people to your house that were very much in play in this passage of Scripture, rules that would have been Jewish culture that would have taken place. There's protocol for this kind of evening. You would, the, the first thing that would happen is when your guest came in, especially your honored guest, who Jesus was, the one that was supposed to be the one that was the guest of honor, the first thing you would do is you would kiss their hand as they walked through the door. That's the first thing that you would do. It would be a greeting that would just say, uh, welcome, thank you for coming. It's a sign of welcoming into your home. But Simon neglects this. The next thing would have been foot washing because they live in a dusty culture. There's no paved roads. There's no concrete. And so whenever you went to go visit somebody, you would have to have your feet washed at their door. At this kind of a dinner, the host would have been expected to help wash the guest's feet. Simon blew this one off too. At the very least, he could have brought a pail of water so Jesus could have washed his own feet off. But he didn't do that either. Next on the checklist was this anointing oil. And what they would do is they would have an anointing oil, and it wouldn't be the stuff you get at Dollar Tree, right? It's not the cheap stuff. It's the good stuff. So um, just kind of an FYI, you know, when, when you have people over for dinner, and you, <laughs> I, this is not culture, but if you want to dap them with oil, don't get the Dollar Tree stuff. Go all out, all right? Crisco, <laughs> peanut, veggie, whatever. I'm kidding. This would be a very fragrant thing, and so what they would do is they would take a drop of this and they would put it on the guest's head. That would kind of give them a perfume or an aura that would be pleasant for people to smell. Um, But no oil for Jesus. 
The thing about Simon in this, it's not like he's trying and getting it wrong. He's not even trying. And the thing that happens in this culture that this passage doesn't really unveil and unfold is this. Everybody in that room would have recognized what he was doing and what he did not do for this guest. And everybody in that room would have felt just a little bit of awkwardness and uncomfortable. Because this was protocol. This is what you did. This was the thing that was accepted. You were to kiss their hand. You were to wash their feet. You were to provide them oil on their head. You were supposed to take care of your guest. And so everybody is looking around thinking, what's going on here? Why is this not happening with Jesus? It kind of gives us a clue of what Simon really thought of Jesus and his teaching. After all, Simon's a very comfortable, he's a very wealthy man. He's a man of prestige, of position, of power. He's respected, or at the very least, he's feared. He appears to be very arrogant in this passage. And everyone in the room, as I said, would have noticed his obvious disregard for this guest. It's almost like he was in a room with a bunch of people from the Jewish culture, and they had a, a straw thing, and he drew the short one. And it's like, oh, oh really? I gotta have Jesus at my house? <sighs> okay. And then, all of a sudden, to, to, to top it all off, at his home, in the middle of the meal, there comes this woman who crashes the party. She's not invited. Now things are not only uncomfortable for the guests, they're uncomfortable for Simon. She just walks in. The scripture defines her as having led a sinful life. What that really, that's a nice way to say this. She was a prostitute. Simon has to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? Who let her in? Right? See, when you're at the top of social status, propriety matters. And nothing is more important than predictability and order. And he's got to be thinking, who in the world let her in? Simon's a professional rule follower. She's not part of the plan. So who is this woman? This woman personifies the beauty of brokenness. The beauty of brokenness. I want you to picture this with me. Can you? Everyone in the room is staring daggers at her, except Jesus. Everybody in the room is looking at her like, what in the world are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is not your thing. You need to leave. But you see, when we get to the place of being truly bankrupt, we can alleviate the crowd when it comes to getting to the place where we can find Jesus we can alleviate what the crowd is saying and doing because nothing matters and no one else matters I just need to get to the Lord that was her mindset in this here's the scene Jesus is reclining at the table because for whatever reason in that day they didn't have chairs right so there's no chairs. So he has a cushion, and it was proper that they would um, 
People would get down on the floor, they would lean their elbow against the cushion, and they would have their feet toward the table, and their feet would be away from the table because nobody wanted to eat with somebody's stinky feet by the table, right? We don't like to do that now, we don't want to do it then. So the feet would be kind of away from the table. And this woman approaches Jesus, and she comes to his feet first. Feet that have been left dirty and filthy by the guest. By the host, I mean, Simon. You can hear this pin drop in the room because it's quiet. Because everybody wants to know what's happening next. She looks around at the people, man, and all of a sudden there's awkwardness. There's a sense of awkwardness. And probably some people are like looking down because that's what we tend to do, right? When there's awkwardness, we look down. We're like, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. Oh, they're looking at me. Oh. Kind of like whenever pastor's going to, you think pastor's going to call on you to pray. If I just don't make eye contact, if I just don't look at him. If I just keep my eyes down here, if I just don't look at him, I'll be fine, right? There's that awkwardness. We don't want to put ourselves out and like, oh, man, because if I make eye contact, he's going to say, hey, would you pray? Now, you know, I understand that some people aren't comfortable praying in public. I get that. Um, but there's that awkwardness, that awkward feeling that's come over the room. And here we have this woman, and, and she looks around and she probably senses that and you know she makes eye contact then back to Jesus and she locks into him and in his eyes she she sees something that's different about him that now she's treasured and she's not trash she's undone and I want you to see this a tear begins to fall from her cheek First it's one, then it's two, and before long, she is falling down on her knees, weeping a cascade, a waterfall of tears. And it's not just like a little one-time thing. This is a whole bunch of tears. How do you know that? Because she's washing her feet with them, his feet with them. It's not just one or two. It's not just a little boo-hoo. This is a cascade, a brokenness. That has come across her life. She has found the answer and she is undone. And she falls to her knees in this idea of, oh, I just, I'm not worthy. And the brokenness hits. And then she falls to the floor and her tears begin to, she begins to kiss his dirty feet. Tears. That should have been the water that Simon supplied. She recognizes all of a sudden that Jesus' feet have not been washed. So what's she to do? She can't really ask for a towel, right? So she takes her hair, and she takes the pin out of her hair to let her hair down. Now, a lot of times you'll read this story, maybe you don't think about it this way. You'll read this story, and you go, oh, isn't that such a sweet picture? Isn't that such a sweet thing? But in that day, that was a social faux pas. Anytime a woman would let her hair down in front of a man that wasn't her husband, it would be considered grounds for divorce. Because it would have just shown the indecency of what's taking place. 
And so this woman, completely undone, not knowing what exactly to do, doesn't have a towel to wash. And so she takes down her hair, and all of a sudden you hear gasps across the room. (gasps) Did you see that? I can't believe that that just took place. All of a sudden the host starts chirping in. If this person knew who she was, if he were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. But she doesn't care. It's a public disgrace, but she doesn't care. People in that room would have been saying, oh my goodness, I can't unsee this. It's etched in my mind. Then she brings out the perfume. See, women of that time wore a small little flask of perfume around their necks. And for a prostitute, this would have been very important because that would have been her livelihood. That would have been part of her livelihood. It would have been part of her daily business. One drop at a time, one man at a time. One drop would have been sufficient here. But she empties the entire flask. Why? Because she wasn't going to need it anymore. Because all she offers it all because he's changed it all in her. She's changed completely. As Jesus turns, he, he hears Simon talking and he answers him and he says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And he says, tell me. And then all of a sudden he has this rebuke for Simon. But for this woman, he has a word of redemption. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poorest spirit imaginable. Rebuked are the arrogant. Rebuke are the prideful. Rebuked are those who think that they are spiritually rich. Because to be rich, you filled yourself with the wrong things because Jesus wants you to become poor and broken. True forgiveness comes from being broken. So today I I have a question to ask of you. And it's a little different than probably when you're thinking. Sometimes when we preach a message like this, we ask questions like, now which one of these two people are you? Right? But today I'm going to switch that question around a little bit. And I'm going to ask it this way. Which of these two people do you want to be most like? Which of these two people do you want to be most like? Now, careful how you answer this. Because if you had to choose, would you pick the wealthy, well-respected religious leader who seems to have his act together? The guy who lives in a beautiful home and has VIPs over for dinner? Or would you rather be the broken prostitute who embarrasses herself? And deeply experiences the love and grace of Jesus. The reason this is a difficult question is because, if we're honest, most of us want both. (laughs) Come on, don't look at me like I'm crazy. Most of us want both. We want to experience the love and the grace of Christ. We want to have that in our life. But we also want to have that position. We also want to have that area where we are like that 
all that in the bag of chips. Right? But in Luke chapter 7, it is painfully obvious that this woman is broken. And the problem with with the thought process of what do you want to be is this. We are all broken. We want to be made whole without being broken. But we are all broken. We want this idea of coming to Christ without really exposing all of me and putting all of me on the altar. I want to be able to do it on my terms in the way I want to do it. And so what we do is we come to Christ, we pray a prayer of repentance, and we leave this building, but we don't really leave changed because maybe a little bit of us changed, but not much. Why? Because we haven't totally given ourselves to the Lord. We haven't totally laid down ourselves and said, Lord, I am undone. I am broken. I'm a sinner. And I recognize that the only way to inherit the kingdom of God is for me to be bankrupt. Not to hold on to anything of my self. Not to hold on to anything of my past. Not to hold on to anything of the things that I hold dear. But my thing in this is to be completely bankrupt. To where I totally depend on you. See, all of us are broken. We understand who the broken person is in this narrative. It's this woman. She's lying on the floor, weeping and crying out at a party that she crashed. But what about Simon? What about Simon? Simon's a guy who, by age 15, had memorized the whole Old Testament. Because to be a religious leader, that was part of the criteria. So not only had he memorized the whole Old Testament, I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. I'm talking about prophecies and everything else. He knew those things. He had probably known over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. Yet when the Messiah was sitting across the table from him, he didn't even recognize him. See, Simon's broken too. The difference is the woman knew how to get fixed. Romans 3.23 says that we're all broken. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So today the question isn't whether you're broken. The answer to that question for everyone is obviously yes. We are all broken. The question here is this. Is there evidence of brokenness in your life? Is there evidence of brokenness in your life? We are people who typically like to put on a good facade. You know, we've got those pictures, you know, emojis are great for that, right? Social media is great for that. Have, How are you doing today? Big old smiley face. Beep. Oh, good, right? Your heart's tearing up and broken. <laughs> I'm good. We put up facades. We're good at that. We're good at putting up little things that we want people to see. It's like those little... Uh, picture-taking things. You go out and you put a little smile on. Behind it, you could be like frowning and terrible, but you got a smile on the front. Bless God. And we approach life that way. And before you know it, you've kind of gotten to the place where that facade becomes your permanent like fixture. And you have this smile that's been permaplaxed on your face when inside you're really hurting. 
We are people who typically like to put on that good facade. We're people that like to ignore the hurts of others as long as we're the ones that are taken care of. We are people who like to yell at someone in their car on their way to church and climb out of our vehicle with smiles to demonstrate that all is good. We've become like Simon and we're the masters of illusion. But the solution to that is brokenness. I acknowledge that I'm a mess, right? I don't know if you guys realize it or not. Every one of you are a mess. You can look at your neighbor and tell them you're a mess. You're a mess. And the crazy thing is, we're all messes. And the only way that we get fixed is to break ourselves and come before Christ. Blessed are the poor, the bankrupt, the broke, who have nothing left to offer. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brokenness is not popular. You won't find brokenness trending on social media. But Jesus said in his upside down way of thinking here that brokenness is the way to wholeness. There are some here today in this room that you know you're broke. But for whatever reason, you're still playing the charade of wholeness. You've fooled everyone, but you haven't fooled God. And you even haven't fooled yourself. There are others here today who might relate with Simon. He thought he was okay. But he never really surrendered every part of his life to Jesus. Some might be here and maybe you feel like you're like this woman. You're so broken that you can't wait for me to be quiet so, and give an altar call so you can run to the altar and find your way to the Lord and weep and give yourself wholeheartedly to God. Truth is, we're all broken. The question is, are we allowing our life to be full of brokenness? Paul said it this way, and then I'll close with a story. Paul said it this way. He says, I die daily. There's a daily thing that happens inside of me where I bro I'm broke every day. I break myself every day because I recognize that when I'm bankrupt and when I have nothing to offer, that's when God can do the most in me. In Japan, there's this art, and it's called um, kintsuji. I think it's called kintsuji. There's the, there's the spelling of it. And this artwork is this. They take broken pieces of ceramic things and they seal them together. But instead of hiding the cracks, they take the cracks and boldly highlight those cracks and they put gold in the cracks. So that you can see that this thing has been broken, but you can also see that it's been put back together. Now, the interesting thing about this, you would think like with broken stuff, usually if, if like you're going to a yard sale, or you're going to um, GW Boutique, also called Goodwill, and, and, and you find something there and uh, it, it's broken, chances are you're like, I'm not interested in that, right? I don't want that. If you go to a yard sale or something, something's broken, they got a radio, do you know if it works? I don't know. I just put it out here. It was in my garage. I don't know if it works. 
Well, they may have $5 on it. You'd probably be saying, would you take 50 cents? I can use it for a prop for a worship team thing. Would you take 50 cents for it? My kids can play with it, play with the knobs. We tend to decrease value on something that's broken. But with this form of artwork, it actually increases the value when they do this. It gives it added um, beauty and added valuableness when it's broken than what it was before. In fact, there are many collectors who would been, have been accused of breaking pieces of pottery intentionally to have this done so they could make the cracks with gold and make it more valuable. The theme here is the broken, the more broken something is, the more valuable it becomes. Hmm. How does that relate to where we are today? The more broken you become with the Lord, the more he can use you in his kingdom. The more that you lay yourself down and you lay down your pride and you lay down those things that keep you from being broken before the Lord. You lay those things down and you become broken. The more value you have to the kingdom of God. Because God can then use you in greater capacity. Because you're his. This artwork is a wonderful depiction of how God looks at us. When we allow ourselves to be broken, he puts us back together with the gold of his love, the gold of his mercy, of his grace and his forgiveness. So then the end result is something that's more valuable to him than the original because we're redeemed. Redeemed. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that today you have given us an accurate depiction of what it means to be poor in spirit. God, today, if there are those here this morning that they need to just lay down their life, maybe there are ones here today that and they identify with this woman. They're undone. There's things that in their life they know that are sinful, and they just want to come and just bow before you this morning and leave it at the altar for you today. I pray in this moment, God, as we have this altar time, that they would find, just like that woman found you, I pray that they would find you. There are some here this morning, Lord, who they're, they're not sure about all this, because in our society, brokenness equals weakness. But in the kingdom of God, as you so eloquently say, we live it upside down. Brokenness is what leads to wholeness. And there are some here today that, Holy Spirit, you're dealing with right now, and you're tugging on their heart, and you're wanting to do something in them this morning. You're wanting them to come to not stand like Simon did off to the side and never get it. You're wanting them to come and join in with those. And so God, today, I pray, no matter where we find ourselves, I know today that we're all broken. The question for us today is, 
is there brokenness? Is there a pattern of brokenness in our life that we do every day? To lay ourselves down before you every day and be bankrupt in spirit. Nothing else to offer. We come to the end of ourselves and we bring it to you. Holy Spirit, move in this place. This morning, here's how we want to do this altar call this morning. We're just going to sing this song, I Surrender All. As we sing that song, I Surrender All, if that's you this morning, I want you to come. If the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart today, I want to invite you to come. You know, there's nothing else I need to say. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you, you come this morning. Would you stand across this sanctuary?